0: If you brought your Bibles, you can open them to the book of Esther. Chapter 4 is where we'll be today. And uh, just to fill you in, if you're just joining us uh, today, I'll give you a recap and kind of bring you up to speed in Esther. Esther begins... uh, The story of a king, uh, this king, uh, King Xerxes, the most powerful king uh, the the world has seen up to this point in history. uh, Ruler of an empire that stretches from India to Africa to Eastern Europe. King Xerxes. And, And King Xerxes can be defined by two words, and those words are no limits. He throws a party that lasts six months He throws a party for the capital city, for everyone in the capital city, and they drink out of gold cups, and there's beautiful silken curtains hanging everywhere. And as a king of no limits, everybody can drink as much as they want. That's a bad thing. Because in a drunken stupor, the king calls for his queen, a queen named Vashti, calls for Vashti to appear before him so everyone can gaze on her beauty and it's not really a noble request. And Vashti does something that nobody does to the king. She refuses. And the king burns with furious anger in, a, in kind of a no-limits way. He, he goes to these extraordinary extremes. He over overreacts to everything, which is a common theme in the book of Esther. And instead of just punishing Vashti, he gets all of his his advisors together and they come up with a plan and instead of just admitting, hey, I was drunk and I was wrong and I was stupid, he decides to make a law for the whole kingdom that he uses his Pony Express to send out that says, Every man is the king of his castle and should be allowed to say whatever he wants. And at the same time, deposes Vashti, banishes her and says, we'll never, I'll never see you again. But now he needs a new queen. And so he begins the Persian beauty pageant. And he calls in women from all around the country, beautiful young virgins. And as you go into this beauty pageant, he chooses as his new queen, the most unlikely one ever, an exile, an orphan, a Jew. And in Hebrew, her name is Hadassah, which is the equivalent to Myrtle, which won't do at all for the new king. And so she receives a new name. Her name is Esther, which in Persian means star. As you continue on in this story, the next chapter, what we talked about last week, uh, new characters are introduced. A new character the, by the name of Haman is introduced. Haman is the, is the king's right hand man. He is the second in power over all the kingdom. And Haman wants to be Xerxes. He wants the same things. He, he wants the no limit kind of limitless kind of power and respect from everyone. And he gets it except for one person Mordecai. Esther's adopted cousin, Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. Everyone else is even commanded by the king to bow down, but like Daniel and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others from the Old Testament, Mordecai refuses to bow to anyone except for God alone. And Haman, in the classic no-limit, over-exaggerating style that is Esther's book, over Reacts, and instead of just punishing Mordecai or singling Mordecai out, Haman has a plan to kill, annihilate, destroy, and those words are used specifically, so you wouldn't you wouldn't confuse them. He he hatches a plan to kill, annihilate, destroy all of the Jews in the entire empire. That will teach Mordecai a lesson, right? And you get a picture of the size of Haman's ego. The size of his pride. And so he hatches this plan, which is genocide. And if you remember, he rolls the the purim, the, the he rolls the dice. Proverbs 16:33 says, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they will fall. And Haman rolls the dice to see when this day of genocide will happen seeking some sort of divine intervention, seeking the favor of his gods. Little does he know that he gets the attention of the one and only God. And so we leave, we left the scene last week in a place of, of confusion. This death warrant from Haman has gone out by the King's Pony Express, and every mailbox is a warrant saying that on this day, every Jew will die, and the whole empire is left in utter confusion. So that's where we pick up. Let's read chapter 4 together. We're going we're to read a lot of scripture today, and so if you brought your Bible, follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I'm going to read this whole chapter, and then we're going to come back and, uh, and, and kind of walk through it slowly. Chapter 4. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of uh, the king's eunuchs who had been appointed uh, as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. And Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because all other Jews are killed that you will escape. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Oh, I love this story. You have to love this story. Haman's evil plot has come out. The news is spread out to everywhere, and when Mordecai hears it, he's devastated, right? Tears his clothes, he does this crazy ritual of throwing ashes on his head and and putting on burlap. I don't know what that means other than he was just really upset, right? Do you think he knew this was about him? Do you think he questioned his actions? I mean, when Haman came into the city gates and everyone bowed, and Mordecai is the only one not bowing, and now a decree goes out that all the Jews everywhere are going to be killed, destroyed, annihilated women children everyone do you think he questioned his actions do you think he could have possibly known that by not bowing to Haman that all Jews would be killed and he goes into this deep place of despair i think he's blaming himself Maybe even uttering the question, these, these two words we see pop up again and again in the story of Esther. Why me? And Esther seems disconnected from, she, she hasn't got the memo clearly, right? Because she hears that Mordecai is upset, but not that all the Jews are going to be killed. And so she's trying to comfort Mordecai. Hey, what's wrong? I'll send you some clothes. And he's like, no, you don't get it. And they send this messenger back and forth, which was like modern-day text messaging, I guess. I don't know. And the messenger sent from from Mordecai with with the exact decree that Haman sends out, with the death warrant that he sends out. And and still, Esther's not quite getting it. And he even tells Esther, Mordecai goes, goes so far as to say, give this message to Esther. Direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. Now, maybe it seems like no big deal to ask the queen to go and ask a favor of the king, but Esther's going to remind Mordecai exactly how big a request he's asking. In verses 10 and 12, Esther says, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know. She says, everybody knows that if you come before the king without being requested, and if you come before him and he doesn't hold out his golden scepter, what's going to happen? Yeah, Game of Thrones. You're all going to die. I mean, this is... There are axemen standing beside the throne on either side because you don't interrupt the king. And Esther's kind of saying, hey, Mordecai, everybody knows that you can't just make, you can't just appear before the king. How come you don't know this? And she's, she can't imagine that, that her adopted cousin would send her on this kind of a, a suicide. Mission. Who is she after all anyway? Right? King hasn't even called for her in 30 days. Why her? Isn't there anybody else? Do you see that angst in her already? And Mordecai has this incredible reply in verses 13 and 14. Mordecai just says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arrive from some other place. Now, I don't know if you've got your Bibles open or on your iPad or what, but you need to underline that verse. That is a powerful powerful verse first off he says you know Esther you're in this just as much as we are maybe your identity as a Jew's been hidden from now but don't think it's going to stay that way and then Mordecai says if you keep quiet at a time like this deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place now he doesn't say God will make it happen some other way but that's what's implied right that, that something is at work here that will prevent this from going all out. He Mordecai never says God, but he recognizes a higher authority at work in all of this. Proverbs 16:4 says, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Mordecai says, even in the midst of this, ashes on his head, right? wearing burlap, at his lowest imaginable moment. I mean, it is the darkest it can be, right? There is no hope. And at this low moment, Mordecai says, I don't know how, and I don't know when, and I don't know where, but I know we are not alone, and I know God will not abandon us. How many of you need that, mo- need that word right now in your life? It seems dark or full of despair, like there's no hope in sight. And Mordecai says, look, I don't know how, and I don't know when, and I don't know where. But one way or another, God will see His promises fulfilled. He will see His people saved. God's will will be done with or without you. God will find a way. God doesn't it, it, God isn't about to give up. God is full of plan B's. I love it is this picture of a God who just keeps working. Maybe an obstacle comes. maybe bad things happen. God doesn't God didn't stop. God didn't give up. He just keeps working to bring about his plan of salvation. God will one one way or another achieve his purpose, but at the same time, he doesn't let Esther off the hook. The fact that God's going to work and do what God's going to do doesn't diminish the fact that in achieving his purpose, you and I have a role to play. And then he says the verse of Esther. If you know anything about Esther, you know this verse. In verse 14, Mordecai says to Esther, who knows, who knows? if perhaps you were made queen, read those words in yellow with me, for just such a time as this. You guys know those words? Who knows that maybe you weren't put in this spot for just such a time as this. Mordecai offers the, an answer to one of life's great questions, which is, why me? Have you ever asked that question? You know, it comes sometimes when, when good things happen, when blessings happen, when, wow, what did, I don't know what I did to deserve this. This is awesome. Why, why me? But more frequently it comes when we get that unexpected phone call or crisis happens, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then we say, why, why me? Why is this happening to me? And I think Esther, in her palace, <laughs> is probably asked this question a little bit too, right? Like, why did, why did the king choose me? I'm an exile. I'm a Jew. I'm an orphan. How, how did I end up in this place? Why would a king choose someone like me? Xerxes could have chosen anyone. Why me? And it is to that question that Mordecai offers this answer. In this moment of of what is essentially national crisis, right? Mordecai offers an answer to Esther's question. He says, who knows? Maybe that's why you're here. Mordecai says, Esther, this is is your divine moment. Esther's the story of God in the background, constantly rearranging the pieces to reveal this incredible picture. Mordecai Mordecai says, this is your divine moment, your your moment to remember who you are, your moment to no longer blend into the background of the palace life and the the queen's life, but to step into the light. It's your reason for being your moment to speak up have you ever been in esther's shoes have you ever been in in come come face to face with for just such a moment as this you know what i'm talking about have you ever been in that moment of oh i can neither do this or i can just kind of shrink back and unfortunately i feel like like most of us Christians in North America or most people who claim to be Christian in North America ha- have traded, have exchanged for such a time as this for some other time than this. Are you with me? Like Maybe you've, you've been presented with this opportunity to study God's Word or, or, or to pray with your family some other time than this. Maybe you've you've had the opportunity to to be be generous. Maybe you've had the opportunity to be be charitable, to to give generously to the person with their hand out on the street corner, and instead of doing that, you've just said, "Uh, some other time than this. Maybe you've been presented with the opportunities to serve, like, like, like our grace works, or, or to, to bring school supplies and, and all the busyness of your life and everything else that's going on with you and your schedule has said, hmm, some other time than this. Maybe you've been challenged to, to join a small group or, or start a Bible study or, or volunteer in our children's ministry. Some other time than this. Maybe you've given the opportunity. There's been, there's been moments right there that you, your, your friend or your neighbor or co-worker has come right to the edge of, of asking about faith or asking about church or asking about what you believe or why you're living this way. And instead of stepping into that moment, you said, oh, some other time than this. Maybe you've been confronted with with that sin or that temptation, and you know you know it's wrong, and you know you shouldn't go there, and you know even though your friends are goading you, you should stay back. And maybe it's an unhealthy relationship, or or maybe it's a decision to, uh, uh, about drinking too much, or or whatever. And you know you know I should I should just I should hold off. I know what God wants. I know what His will for my life is. But I'll just put that on hold for now, and 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 I'll I'll live my life out for Christ some other time than this. And I think if we went around the room this morning and asked, have you ever missed your moment? I think we would all say, oh man, I've missed it. Right? Like, have you missed your moment? Am I the only one? You've had that moment. You, you've had that moment where you could have, if I, if I'd just. And so we know we know what it feels like to, to cave to our friends and to peer pressure and and to, to 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 cringe because of the potential consequences, or we're afraid, for whatever reason. All of us have, at one point or another, missed our moment. To share the truth of Jesus Christ. To live like Christ. To to be an example of Christ. We we know what it means to fail. We know what it means to miss that moment. but, But there's something I want you to see in this. There's one thing I'm certain of in Esther's story. Is that you will have another chance. Is that your life isn't defined by a single moment. But there will be moments upon moments upon moments are you with me i didn't hear you are you with me and if there is if your life isn't defined by just a single moment but moment after moment after moment where god continues to place opportunities in front of you then your life is gets to tell the story of it's not too late right It's not too late for you to step into the life God is calling you to live. It's not too late for you to share your faith. It's not too late because there is going to be another moment placed before you. And maybe you failed on every moment up to this one, but you will have another divine moment placed before you. And when that moment comes, I pray you act like Esther or Myrtle. Esther replies in verse 16, Oh, she's got it now. If she didn't know what was happening, she's, she's feeling the full weight of this whole thing, loud and clear at this point. And Esther sends a final reply to Mordecai and says, Gather all the Jews and fast for me. My, my, my maids and I are, are going to do the same thing, and though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king, and she says these amazing words. Exiled, Jewish, orphan, woman. What does she say? If I must die, I must die. And man, every one of you should get some, like, those little stingly things up the back of your neck when you see that. She didn't get caught up in the who me and all this kind of stuff. She just says, I'm stepping into this thing. I love that she recognizes, though, even in the middle of that, that that this is a spiritual battle conflict. She she's making a commitment to prepare herself by. It says fasting, but we assume with that prayer also. Like she recognizes very clearly, like what's happening, and it, and it's so important for us to see that Esther fully understands that that this is not a mission she can accomplish on her own, right? I, I think it's probably pretty fair to say she has her doubts about this mission accomplishing anything, right? But like Esther, like see if you can relate to this. Do you think Esther felt ready for the conversation she's about to have? Do you think she felt qualified? Like there'd probably be somebody better. Do you you think she could have made every excuse under the book? Do you think she likely would have preferred someone else take the task from her? Have you ever felt that way? God's put me in this place, but man, there's so many other better people than me. I really wish he would just use one of them. And she knows on her own she cannot hope to be successful. This divine moment is going to require divine intervention and her cry of it i will go in to see the king if i must die i must die her cry feels like to me jesus prayer in the garden do you remember that prayer father god take this cup from me but your will be done Even Jesus said, look, if there's a way to take this, if there's somebody else or if there's some other, but God, I recognize that if if this is the moment you've called me to step into, then your will be done. And Esther, with incredible courage, chooses to step out on faith and trust God's will. Trust his, trust his timing, trust God's timing more than her own hesitations. Are you with me? Can you follow that? She chooses to believe that it is God Almighty who has placed in this who has placed her in this moment for just such a time as this. So we can come back next week and, uh, and pick this up. Is that, is that okay? You guys, you all want to go a little bit more and find out what happens? You don't want to just sit in that tension, do you? You don't want to wait, right? You're, so how many of you have already read ahead right now? I know you have. Let's peek ahead. In chapter 5, I'm just going to read again. Or I'm going to read another long section. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says, On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance, and when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. Whew! So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, Tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to, the, to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now! Tell me, what do you really want? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please with Haman tomorrow. Uh, come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. All right, so not exactly what you were hoping for, is that right? Like, there's this incredible moment of relief. Esther enters into the, you know, she's kind of peeking in, you know, I, she's peeking around the corner, right, you know, um, and the king sees her and the axemen on both sides, and invites her in and welcomes her in. It's this huge moment of relief. Whew. Esther is safe. Our hero is safe, but her task is not done. And the king says, "Esther, this is not normal behavior. You like the king knows the consequences of prepare, uh, appearing before the king without being invited, right? And so you get that almost in the king's response, like Esther, what's what's this all about? You know, what is your request? Even in his generosity, it tells us a little bit of he knows the risk she took in being there, right?" Because he generously says, hey, I, what is, what's your request? I, I'll give it to you, you know, even if it's up to up to half my kingdom. And all of us reading this from the outside go, this is it! This is Esther's divine moment, right? This is the moment she's been prepped for. Mordecai said this moment would come. All the Jews in the whole kingdom are in danger for their life, and the king has just... Accepted Esther in and said, Esther, whatever your request is, even if it's up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And all Esther has to say is, Let my people go, like Moses did, right? And what does Esther ask for? She asked for a dinner party. And all of us reading this story are like, What are you doing? Hello, you're supposed to save the Jews. This is not time for dinner parties. And she asked for this banquet with the king and Haman and her. And, and, and this moment comes again, and you're all like, okay, for sure, this time. It's at the end of the banquet, and you know, they're sitting back and they're fat and they're drinking and they're, you know, they're in that agreeable place, right, ladies? You know what I'm talking about. They've been buttered up and the king says in verse 6, now tell me what you really want. Like he knows she wants something. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it's half my kingdom. And Esther steps into this moment. We think, okay, this is it. This is it. Esther says, this is my deepest wish. Will you come to another banquet? (laughs) And we're like, strike two, Esther, come on. You know, every reader wants to jump into the story and shake her and say, what are you doing? You know, the guys in the background are like, choke, choke. (laughs) And I love like theologians just go crazy over this, these, these banquets. Um, And and there's so much speculation at, at this point in the story like uh we we are deeply confused about her newfound fondness and love for banquets. Um, some have even looked at this scene and called Esther to coward. Man, she could have, and she just didn't. Twice she had her chance and blew it and and some have even said maybe she's lost her nerve, but but I want to suggest something else is happening. You know, maybe. Maybe Esther's responses seem like cowardice, but I think they're actually very calculated. Uh, you see, I think Esther is 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 more patient and more wise than even we are. She like like she knows her mark. She she's going to carefully pick her spot. She knows what's at stake, and so she she knows she only has one shot at this thing. Right? So I want you to look at a couple of the details. It's a dinner party, not for just the king and for Esther, but someone else is invited, right? Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And if you look, maybe uh, it's, it's curious that he's included unless you see that she's laying a trap. Guaranteed to catch Haman off guard. And, I mean, maybe honestly the... She was at the banquet, we weren't there, maybe the shot wasn't there, you know. And, and and if if food is the way to a guy's heart and one banquet can produce this kind of response, what you know, maybe two, let's just seal this deal. You know, but I love that you need to pay attention to that that two banquets is curious to us, right? Looks like she had her shot again and again, but two banquets is is just as curious to the king as it is to us, right? Do you see him leaning in on the edge of his seat? You know, it builds this anticipation, this curiosity, this suspense. The king is left on the edge of his seat just like us. She gains the attention of not just uh, us as readers, but now she has the full and undivided attention of Xerxes. Do you see how that works? Like, he's all in. Like, he's curious. He wants to know what's going on. And she has him like a trout on a line. And finally, maybe most importantly, remember that the whole story of Esther, consider that all the events in this story, all the supposed chances and circumstances don't happen independent of God. But God is in the white space on your page between every letter and word. God is orchestrating the details of this story. And so maybe what we look at Esther and say, oh, why are you hesitating? Why are you hesitating? Maybe in truth what is happening is God is leading her to delay. God's led everything up to this point, right? He's worked through every supposed fate and chance up to this point. Maybe there are pieces yet to be put in place. And before this whole picture can be realized, there are some other things that need to happen. As you will see, this extra banquet is going to buy some time for our villain, the enemy of the Jews, Haman, to get even further in. In a sense, if you could see and know what's going to happen next, you would see that These extra banquets and this extra time gives Haman extra rope by which to hang himself. You see how that works? So I want to wrap us up today, and I know we've been through a a lot of scripture. I just remind you to consider for a moment all of the seemingly random moments of your life. You know, where you live and how you got your job and what you like to do, the people you run into, the, the, the friendships that you've made, where you go to school, how, what you spend your money on, where you shop, the route you drive to work each and every day, the food you eat, the people you meet. Just consider for a minute all the details of your life what if in the midst of all of those seemingly random moments there is stuffed between the cracks and crevices, between every chance and circumstance, between every fate of your life, a God working to bring about His kingdom come, His will be done. And that you are God's chosen instrument to bring about His kingdom will. That He is constantly positioning you, not just for your benefit, but for His divine purpose here on earth. Your life is filled with divine moments, moments for you to speak and act and move, not according to your own selfish desires, but according to His will for you. And if that is the case, then we, like Esther, have been placed by God in our lives, not for some other time than this, but for just such a time as this. For just such a time as this, God has placed you in this day, in these moments. And you, like Esther, can step into this faith to to risk it all. You, like Esther, are positioned to speak up for Christ, to share the good news of Jesus with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your children, with your families. Your week is filled with divine moments. What will you do with them? In just a moment, we're going to spend a time in in communion. It's something we do every week. It's something we, we feel like is really important. But on the tables, then we have three stations set up. We have the bread and the cup, which represent the broken body of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And I'll say a prayer and I'll just dismiss you to those uh, those communion tables and I invite you to take them corporately. I invite you to commune together. Maybe uh, maybe just tuck your tuck your heads with a couple of people and if they're strangers, that's okay. We well, don't bite too much, you know. And uh, maybe pray this week about your divine moments, the ones you've missed and the ones that are yet to come. Pray that you would have the courage and the faith of Esther. To step into those moments, to trust God's will, even when things are dark or things are in despair. So I invite you as you take communion to, to pray about these divine moments, how God is at work in the in the cracks and crevices of your life. And maybe while that's happening, we also give you a chance to respond. If God's put it on your heart to respond today, maybe, maybe you've missed your moments and want to repent. Maybe there's some some sins in your life that you want to confess or or maybe This is your divine moment right now, and you want to give your life to Christ through baptism. That's why we're here. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. My role is to help you step into what God is already doing and calling and pursuing and pushing you into. So I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss you to communion. If you'd like to respond, I'm just going to move up here to the front, and maybe one of our elders will be here to pray with you as well. And we'll just have a time of communion. I invite you to pray with each other. And uh, we'll just come out of that time after a few moments back into our worship set together. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray that we would have the faith and the courage of of, uh, of Esther. God, so, so courageous. And God, I... I I, I have felt just like her before she enters that throne room of, man, I don't know that I'm the right person, and I don't know that I'm qualified, and I can come up with every excuse and hesitation. But God, help us to see that you are so incredibly faithful, and when we make ourselves available for your purpose, that you will use us and that we can trust in you to provide Father God, the best evidence of that is the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, you sent your son to suffer and to die for us. And we rejoice in the fact that on the third day, he was resurrected. And in that new life that he breathed, Father God, you invite us into that kind of a life, not a scared, timid kind of life where we just rely on ourselves, but a life fully devoted to you in every word and action. So, Father God, as we take this communion, let us also take up the life of Christ, the life you have called us into for just such a time as this. Father God, we love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says. Thank you. Go ahead and stand up. I dismiss you to a time of communion.